Okay, so today's episode was originally going to be about a different topic, but in light of what's going on in the news right now concerning Hillsong, New York's co-pastor, Carl Lentz, I kind of felt like we need to at least address that and some of the other things that have actually been going on this year with big name pastors and televangelists and all of them uh, that's happened honestly since September so from what I can gather the uh, the gist of what's going on with Carl Lentz is that I think this news broke back in November sec- November 2nd and it got and the little ar- the article got passed around recently but apparently Carl Lentz who co-founded Hillsong New York was apparently having an affair on his wife since May of this year. And because of all that, Brian Houston, who is the, I think his title is like global pastor, but he's the guy who founded Hillsong. He, he is Hillsong. He ended up firing Carl Lentz because of that. And now I think he's trying. I, now Carl Lentz went to, um, uh, I think it was like Los Angeles or something to try and get that fixed. Which of all the places to go to, <laughs> Los Angeles is not the first place I would have went to. Well, yeah, that right now it, it's a it's a strange thing for me. I I think. Uh, I like to think that I can look at the whole thing fairly impartially because in, in a way it's not like I have a connection to Hillsong. So it's not like I have a dog in the fight or anything. Yeah. And I honestly, I don't really keep up with a lot of ministries today for the, for the most part. Um, I don't, as you know, I watch very little, if any Christian television I keep up with a few ministries on the internet, um, but I don't really get into a lot of, of what's quote unquote Christian news. Um, and so I, I don't, uh, I don't keep up with, um, with uh, Hillsong. In, in fact, I would say that uh, if you look, uh, I know apparently it's become tabloid fodder now and oh yeah because when um, i was looking this up it was like people magazine i think vanity fair all these different places have uh decided to put in their two cents about the guy which is obviously what he would want right now it's like yeah i'm already down go ahead and keep kicking me but it's really upsetting that that's how it's being handled well i think it's really interesting because to some extent basically uh, Carl Lentz was sort of uh, what you might call in, to some extent, a media darling, to yeah. some extent. He was on programs like The View and others, and it seemed like he had a wider acceptance among American media than a number of ministers do. Um, unfortunately, that led to some criticism because of statements he made or didn't make in regards to a number of uh, extraordinarily important issues of principle to Christians. And 
naturally there then was issued apologies. Also, there have been a number of uh, things concerning the Hillsong, New York uh, a congregation's events that there was a women's conference a few years ago that, you know, um, apparently one of the ministry team was performing on stage in the role of New York City's naked cowboy. Yeah. And, and all of that. And there was a lot of criticism there. Um, there was a man dressed up as uh, the Statue of uh, Liberty uh, on stage at that same event, which basically he had a beard, he had a mustache, which basically gave the impression of essentially Jesus in drag as yeah. the Statue of Liberty. Hillsong, New York has not really. And, and it's really struggled in some stuff. Uh, some some real um there were some things that's valid where it's like okay that that, does not make sense but then there have been things that i've watched that they got blasted for in the media that i was like well if you actually watch the whole thing then you see that it's yeah in context but if you take it out of context which is like with anything else you can twist things and make it bad Welcome to the spin era. Yeah. And so you realize that there are certain things that are actually valid criticisms, other things that are spin and, and invalid criticisms. And there's been a lot of criticism about Hillsong, New York, and about Carl Lentz. Um, and now there's this this current thing. But uh, my thing is, is interesting with this. It's like, although he was probably better received in American media before, they have not lost the opportunity to pounce on him. Yeah. Now that there is an opportunity to pounce on him. Well, the moment a Christian messes up in any way, shape, or form, it doesn't matter how buddy-buddy you are with the media, they will rip you apart. And I've seen this with, with other ministers in the past. Um I've seen other ministers who used to go on various talk shows, interview programs, and all of this, and they would be treated um, many times politely, sometimes very civilly, and, and, and it sometimes appeared to be very friendly. But the problem was, as soon as there was an opportunity to go after these ministers, they didn't hesitate. Their networks, their programs, their hosts did not hesitate to go after these ministers. And this has been something I've seen probably over a 20, 30 year period. And so I think the thing to always remember is that uh, at the end of the day, you cannot trust secular media. In fact, honestly, to some extent, you can't trust a lot of Christian media outlets, but you certainly cannot trust uh, uh, secular. secular media outlets. If you think they're your friend, do not delude yourself. That's not the case. They will use you for their aims and their ends, but they will not hesitate to stick the knife in you as quickly and as brutally as possible, given the opportunity. And so, you know, I, in that respect, I think that, um, you know, what's happening with Carl Lentz is very instructive uh, and should be a cautionary tale 
to, um, you know, to, to ministries, period, that when you deal with secular media, uh, understand that they aren't now nor ever are going to really be your friend. That's just not going to happen. Well, that's like when Billy Graham died. I saw a lot of places did really nice, sweet little memorial, like in memory of Billy Graham type mm-hmm. stuff. And then there was like a couple that when they were doing their little in memory of Billy Graham, they always they put little jabs in on the day he died. It's like he's being, you know, he was pronounced dead. Everybody's getting funeral arrangements. And then there's certain news outlets that are taking jabs at him mm-hmm. now, now that he's dead. It's like, really? Yeah. The First off, the family's mourning. Christianity, like Christians as a whole, as a body, for the most part, are mourning the loss of Billy Graham because he was that he was a very big deal, and it's like you just can't let it go. He, it's like really, that's just pathetic. Well, it goes to show you that uh, obviously the effectiveness of Billy Graham's ministry, that even after he was dead, they still had an insane loathing for the man that just provoked them to go out there and start writing and 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 putting out uh these these jabs and these criticisms of him uh based on the fact that his ministry was was so successful and he was so influential for so many decades but uh yeah it it is it is one of these things we've we've seen you know i have a certain perspective because I've watched I remember the televangelist uh, scandals of the of the 80s and early 90s and watched how uh, government and media went after them with blood in their eyes um, and and uh, a number of very well-known ministers were were held up to public ridicule um, you know you you look at the and I, I am, it's amazing to me that were there some who actually did wrong? Actually, yes, there were some who did wrong. Um, there were others who were accused of a number of things of which they did not do and which suffered greatly. Um, you had ministers who suffered because of the things they did, suffered even more many times for things of which they were not guilty. And so I, I think that when you see that and you see what's going on as of late, um, you're seeing a, uh, an, an almost deja vu all over again type of mentality that seems to be coming up in terms of uh, what's happening to ministries. I think that unfortunately many ministers have, for a number of reasons, let's be honest, they're as human as, as any of us have done and said things that, that they wish they had. That they that they certainly now wish they had never said and done and and have provided opportunities. Um, that being said, it goes back to this situation about um, the first thing is, first of all, how should Christians handle these situations and when you and I talked about sin it's not just about one person's sin or one minister's sin or whatever the question is simply how do you handle this and the 
And the answer is very simple. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spiritual, in a spirit of meekness, taking heed, taking heed, lest you also, and that's the whole thing, lest you also fall into the same temptations. If, if we learn nothing about uh, from, from these situations, it's that simply put, there but for the grace of God go I. Yeah, and we can see as as we watch various ministers, and there have been a number of them over the last few months that have some have had to step away from their ministries from a period of time. Others have had, you know, to uh, ha have become involved in various litigations. Others have been fi uh, fired or resigned from. Uh, from from their organizations and as you look at this it's like these are cautionary tales yeah and you know the first thing we need to do is remember that um our first job as christians is to pray for these people yeah um you know and you criticism see, is easy compassion is hard and you see, there's going to be a lot of people who look at this. And honestly, the last few months of this year have been like there's at least been one a month of something going on with pastors, well-known pastors. And there's going to be Christians who just will bash them or just completely cut them off and just ditch them. And I've always had a problem with that. And it's like what you said. A lot of people are really quick to just criticize everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. They'll criticize you and point out all the stuff that you're doing wrong and not show any kind of love or compassion whatsoever. It's it's an unfortunate thing. You know, it's it's a shame that, you know, it's become such a cliche that people don't even want to hear it quoted. But I think the reason that people don't want to hear it quoted is because it's so true and has been demonstrated so many times that we've become tired of hearing that truth. And that's basically the Christians are the only group that basically kills their own wounded. Yeah. And that's not just true of ministers. It's not true. It's not just true of pastors or, or celebrity or televangelists or whatever title they it's have. Nowadays. Like if you if you make a mistake, boom. That's it. I mean, it's basically you are you are going you become to become blackballed. And understand, I'm not a greasy grace, hyper grace type of individual that says basically, you know, you get saved and you basically serve the God of infinite slack who basically just lets you get away no. with doing dirt the rest of your life. You need to try to do better and you need to actually put forth the effort to live the way that Christ wants you to live. Fruits meet for repentance is the term. Yeah. But if you do mess up, you shouldn't become a pariah. Yeah. Like you can't just be kicked out of the group because, you know, you committed adultery. You did some kind of sin. It's like you need to. It's one of those things like you fell and you need your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you back up and get you back on your feet. Well, again, that's 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 the Part of the problem, as I see it, is 
in terms of in terms of your general people in in your local churches yeah um many times if they mess up and again understandable there's a difference between somebody who turns and is conducting themselves in an unrepentant sinful way that is a different animal yeah you know obviously if you have somebody who is publicly living a in in a sinful life with no desire and no intent of repenting then then obviously you have to deal with that situation different because you know they just don't care anymore they don't care and so the thing about it is but for those who are struggling with a sin and that's the whole point are you struggling with this sin yeah um and so if you're struggling with this sin then at that point you have this situation where you know there needs to be restoration there needs to be compassion there needs to be ministry and all that and and a cognizance of our own fallen nature and how easily any of us can fall into any temptation that being the case on the local church level it's often many times easy to jettison people yeah who struggle with sin because they're disposable yeah i mean they're disposable they're they're quote unquote honestly non-entities and and their liabilities uh because they can just be easily gotten rid of and it's like too much time too much effort too much too much don't want to bother yeah and and it's like and we don't want to bother with these people and their struggles and their failures and their like, what and their lives it's like god forbid you try to help somebody as <laughs> yeah. a christian it, it, it is it's usually if someone thing. does something like in a in a local church i'm not even i'm not even gonna say a small one but just local like if you do something that's wrong and the whole church fi- and the church finds out about it sometimes that whole church will turn on you in a sense um, many times it will. I mean, it, it is amazing. Now, there are times that uh, if the person at charge is genuine and has a heart, you know, for people and is actually trying to do what Christ tells us to do, mm-hmm. there are times that they will actually help the people. Yeah. But I feel like I've noticed more often than not that the church is like, well, if we just, if it's more of like a thing of me against you type thing, mm-hmm. like the church against that person, it's like that person more or less will just leave and the problem goes away too. Well, and then what happens is then what you have are situations where you have organizational uh, structures, yeah. hierarchies in place. And this is where it often gets really cute because when you're talking about denominations you need to understand that you're talking about corporations yeah and it makes more sense corporations by definition are usually highly organized i mean let's be honest if you work for a business corporation whether it's manufacturing or retail or whatever services or whatever you have your you have your your 
manuals, your employee mm-hmm. manuals. These your are videos. your conduct. This is all, yeah, your training, and this is how you do it. You got the whole system, and you have your hierarchy of how you go to your managers and how you deal with problems if you can't handle it yourself. Exactly. And then there's the things for which you are fired or suspended or whatever. Your write-ups and, and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, and many times what you find out are is that the employers generally don't care unless unless you do something that reflects badly yeah. on the corporation. Mm-hmm. I wish that it were not so in Christianity. Yeah. But in many times with organization, uh, ministries, evangelical, uh, 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 you know, associations, denominations, and all that, what happens is they're willing to abide by that principle until. Until it makes someone look bad. Until it makes the organization look bad. And then you get into a situation where people start getting thrown under the bus. Oh, yeah. And I've watched that happen in the past. Um, and, and the problem is many times the so-called fail-safes of restoration programs, and I've seen this in, in denominations and ministries over the years, they are really not designed to really, and whether you call it a rehabilitation or a restoration program or whatever you call it, many of them are honestly uh, ineffective. Yeah. Um, and basically set up to present the organization in the best public light. Yeah. It's like, look, we've taken this pastor and removed him or her from the pulpit. And now what we've done is we've put them into a rehabilitation or restoration program. Yeah. And we've gotten them counseling and we're doing this and that and the other. It makes them look like they care. And it presents the appearance of compassion. However, many times what happens is these people come out of their feeling worse than they did going well basically they they don't it it doesn't really address their their issues no and uh, that's not always the case but many times they come out of the other end no different than when they went in the the actual issues that caused them to fall into whatever sin it was that they originally fell into have not been addressed yeah and they're just ticking time bombs waiting to go off again to become personal and public embarrassments, both to themselves, their families, their organizations, and 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 many times their congregations, if they ever do get back into a pulpit. And so what happens is you don't really see effective restoration. And But many times these things are basically more about public relations yeah. Look, we put somebody in a restoration program. We put somebody in a rehabilitation program or a counseling program. It never really changes their lives, but hey, it's good public optics. It's good PR. And yeah. the question is simply, and it's like, are these things actually working? And and again, I, I the the controversies we're seeing um, recently, I would not be surprised if they don't get ratcheted up. And here's the thing about that, though. It's like the whole – it mainly comes down to a whole image. 
of the corp- of the churches when they do that. Yep. They're not. If they did care, I feel like you would see dramatic changes in the people that had to go through those rehabilitation or counseling or things. And you don't really see that most of the time. You get like one or two sermons or services when they come back, if they come back. Because sometimes they don't ever come back. True. And if they do come back, the first two services is just a, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like the congregation stands up more for the pastor and they're just clapping more. He gets more standing ovations and stuff. It's like, he came back and he's a changed man. You know, but it's like that whole thing. The, the truth of the matter is... It's a song and is, dance that just happens. It's a performance. Yeah. It, it's a public performance oftentimes. And it's like, okay, wh- well, what it means is it's almost like your graduation performance. Yeah. Where you've went through the program and you get up and you say all the right things and give all the right speeches and... Everyone applauds when Everybody they're applauds to. when they're supposed to. And the truth of the matter is, did it... Did it, are they changed? Are they changed? Are they changed? And you can almost say that just about regular. You know, we're talking about that and talking about when pre uh, when someone in a position goes through a rehabilitation thing. It's like, well, are they changed and stuff? You can almost say the same thing about just regular services. Yeah, but that yeah, because it's like, what is church even doing now? You know, it's like how many sermons can you remember? That your local pastor preached. Uh, did any of that thing? Did any of what's been said change you? You know. Well, it's that's a f- getting into a different topic and a different thing. But it's just one of those things. It's like, is the church even being effective anymore? Well, actually, I was I was thinking about what somebody was saying recently about um, the difficulties of ministering to people in, in terms of. Um, and this, I know they were applying it to young people, but it's not just young people. It's no young. It's couples, it's families, it's old people. And they're talking about the difficulties of basically only having a limited period of time because most churches, let's be perfectly honest, most churches have been cutting back on the number of church services, even before the whole COVID thing. You had situations where, ministries were cutting out midweek services. They were cutting out Sunday night services. They basically were only going to Sunday morning services. There were no prayer meetings. There were no this, that, and the other. You might have a small groups meeting of some kind. There are a cell group meeting if they if they still call them that, or a home meeting maybe. And instead but of like that, once a week, most of the time, no. Yeah, the, or they'll go from like once a week to once a month and slowly phase things out. And, and so what you have is you got a situation where people are talking about you know in in like forty minutes to an hour, we can't make a big enough. That's a not enough time to speak to these people and undo what they live in 24-7, 365 the rest of the time. Well, my problem is simply this. I don't think that the issue is the amount of time we have to speak. I think the real issue is the lack of power in what we say. Yeah, because if God's moving and you're anointed and God has his hand on it, then 40 minutes to an hour would be plenty of time to change someone's life. 
Jesus didn't need a whole lot of time no. to speak with a woman at a well to no. change her life. Or he to, didn't have a three point sermon. They didn't have all the he didn't have all this other stuff. He was just speaking to her. Exactly. It wasn't one of those things that basically it's like, oh, the woman taking adultery thrown at Jesus' feet. It wasn't a lengthy, you know, he didn't need 30, 45 minutes, an hour to address the situation and change the woman's life. No. But I think the interesting thing about this is that at this point, what you're finding out is it's not the length of time. It's the lack of power in what we say. And so I think what, what we're seeing revealed is that many times what's going on in the churches is that um, we have become like what the Gospels referred to with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the lawyers. Yeah. Unlike Jesus, they spoke, but Jesus spoke with authority. Yeah. And they were like, who is this guy and where does he get off? talking like he's got authority and so basically all they could do was derive their authority from whatever group they were from i'm a pharisee i'm a sadducee yeah. i'm a whatever um whatever you know you know they they all had a quote-unquote basis uh -huh. for their authority but honestly at the end of the day they really didn't there wasn't any power the mindset that i feel in like what they were saying the mindset I feel like these people have fallen into is I feel like you could use the story in the Bible where um, it was that group, those that group of guys, they went over to a demon possessed person and they were like saying in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Yeah. The sons it's, of Sceva. Yeah. It's like that's kind of the mindset they have. It's like, yeah, they had boldness and they had that stuff. And that's even saying a lot for what goes on in churches now. But they didn't speak with power. They didn't speak with authority. They were basically trying to mirror what they saw. And you can't mirror God. Let's see if this will work. Yeah, let's just try this. Let's figure it out. It, Throw <laughs> something at the wall, see what sticks. Well, let, let's be perfectly honest. Um, most people, many people in, in, in the body of Christ right now suffer from an identity crisis. Yeah. They have no idea who they are in, in Christ. They have no idea what they're called to do. They have no idea what their purpose is. They are completely confused. Um, they lack any direction, and 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 they and they are completely without foundational grounding. And some of the elders and some people who do have an idea, who've walked the walk and actually been through it, aren't really sharing anything. Well, many of them have been basically marginalized. Demoted they have the been. Sitters. They pretty much have been. It's like, you know what, you you were there years ago, uh, but basically right now you're pew filler. Yeah. You're supposed to come in. You're supposed to hand, it, uh, hand us your tithe check. You sit there, you look stately and venerable, and you keep your mouth shut because we really don't want to hear about, you know, how things used to be. We don't want to hear about what they used to teach, used to preach, used to do. Uh, first of all, because we don't want the comparisons. They're not really very favorable. But also back in the day, people used to get saved by the thousands. Exactly. The, uh, the thing that somehow that basically, you know, apparently as though basically <laughs> the mentality that somehow the bread of life goes stale. Yeah. 
um, that there's an, an expiration date, you know, um, that this is like a uh, manufactured medicine. After so many months, it starts to lose potency. And, and all of this, it's like, no, the message is eternal. It was before, it is now, and will always be. And it's like, you know what? It doesn't lose its, it used to be uh, the old song. Yeah. You know, the blood that Jesus shed for me will never, never lose, lose its, its power. power. And so that's it, a reminder that people need. Because here's the thing I think it'd be funny just to see, like, and I feel like you'd have to go this way, just like a bunch of old church women and men actually pleading the blood and praying over people. Because when they do that, they believe it 100% because yeah. they've experienced it. And, and that's really it. Aaron, the, the, the experience, once you have the experience of having walked it and, 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 and known the truth of it, at that point, all of these excuses yeah. just ring hollow. You, you know that this is, is hogwash you're hearing. And the fact is, it goes back to that program we did, Why I'm a Pentecostal. It needs to be preached. It needs to be taught. It needs to be demonstrated. It needs to be lived. And so it's been the failure of churches and denominations and ministries and pastors and uh, to, to actually do this that has allowed us to get to the state we're in, both in the church and in the nation. And you see, the bad thing is, is like when you have experienced the real thing and you come back to counterfeit and, you know, just generic gospel, it grieves you because you're like, I've experienced something that was alive and well and personal. And now I'm having to go back to something that just feels, like you said, hollow and just empty. Just like there's no nothing backing it. Well, like you used to go to youth camp and for a week you would have these wonderful experiences with God and then you'd come back to the churches. And the youth would always get angry. You ever notice whenever they ask the youth um, what their experiences were was like and all that stuff? It was almost an hour-long roast of that church. <laughs> it's like they came back on fire, and then when they were like, what do you think about all this that happened at camp? They spent the entire service basically just ripping them a new one about the lack of things that are actually being done in the local church. I remember it was like someone said how sad it was that we had to go to camp to actually experience God. <laughs> when really the stuff that we're experiencing there at camp should, wasn't any different than what we could have experienced at a local church and should have been experiencing at a local church. And if it's happening at camp, why isn't it happening in churches? Well, and there's a couple, several reasons for that, I, I will tell you. First of all, um, many times what would happen at the camps, people would be praying and fasting and preparing for for weeks in advance for. If not months. But the thing about it is you would see these same experiences happening if people were praying and fasting and, 
and preparing for regular church services, not just for a week or two weeks, but for a actual regular a lifestyle. Yeah, it's it's like and so you have that situation. Number two, there was an expectation. Yeah. People would go to a youth camp from year to year and the next year they expected it. They expected for them. They expected for the other young people that they were inviting. They would like when we get there, this is what happened last year. Oh, the term is testimony. Mm -hmm. This is what happened here. This is what happens here. This is what you can expect. There's a testimony which brings forth an expectation. Yeah. And brings forth a rise in hope and faith in those who are actually going to be there and participating. The truth of the matter was most people don't want to admit in our church services today, there's no testimony, there's no hope, there's no expectation, there's little faith. And you're there's just at a meeting place. And it's like you're going there because you have a brand affiliation yeah. and a brand loyalty that you have chosen to identify with. And you go, at least sporadically, enough to maintain your brand identification and your good standing with that brand. Yeah. And so that's kind of what tends to start happening. And you put up with the lack of, of, of the, the, the reduction in the moving of the spirit in services and, and churches because you're in this situation where it's like, this is all the this is all that people expect. Yeah. And and so when you have that you're you're looking at these situations. The these are those kind of and and, and your people are probably wondering why in the world does this have to do with what we started talking about with the struggles that people have have but the thing about it is when you truly have a profound experience with the Holy Spirit, the conviction that comes with that. Yeah. Um, because he's the spirit of holiness. He is mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. And when this, when this moving comes, you become convicted yeah. of the sins that you're committing. You become convicted there is a desire for repentance a desire to re to repent that's why holiness was such a profound thing to the old-time pentecostals their expressions of it may not always have been the best but their expressions of it were motivated by a deep desire to live a holy life and so what we've done is when it's like when you come back from the youth camp deal, it's like, well, there's no expectation here. Yeah. And it's like, why doesn't this happen here? Well, because the people there don't have any expectation of it. There is no preparation. There is no prayer and fasting to the degree that's happening at this other place. And there's no testimony. And, and so you see that going on. And it's not just in one place or one denomination. It's pretty. It's pretty widespread. Well, it's not the, everywhere, but it's it's epidemic. Well, one of the yeah, it's a pandemic. Indeed. Uh, well, one of the things you were saying throughout the whole thing is testimony. Remember when there used to be testimony nights? 
I do. I never heard of one, and I've never been to one. Not in your lifetime. Ever. And I wonder why. Because, I don't know, people always, honestly, I heard people your age making fun of testimony nights in churches. Saying how people would always be like for 30 minutes talking about all the crap they did. And then for five minutes saying how good God is. Now, I'm not saying, like, I'm saying that's probably incorrect. You probably shouldn't do that. You should, but you also do need to give an insight onto what you were. You don't glorify what you were. You glorify what God brought you out of. Well, that's kind of it. In, in testimony services, people talk about, and the criticism of testimony services was based on this. First of all, you had people that appeared to be more bragging about the sinful lifestyle they lived than actually uh, pointing out how horrible and destructive it truly was. Yeah. And after, you know, and you'd have people that, you know, they used to go from church to church and give ministers by giving their testimony, and you'd hear 45 minutes about how they were a super sinner and all that. Yeah. And then you would get a five-minute wrap-up of how they come to know the Lord. And then you had another five minutes of appeal for why you should come to know the Lord. Yeah. After hearing for 45 minutes what a super sinner they were. All the partying, and it all the drugs like, they did, and, and the alcohol they drank. It's and, like, well, because, tell me where you were And struggling. it's almost like sometimes they were vicariously living, reliving it. It's like, ooh, yeah. I get to be a Christian, but I get to think about, you know, the bad old days and enjoy them all over again. It's like, um, I get to do it for God. And it's yeah. like, no, that's not really how that works. And they and end up there just would, staying there. They never really grow. And then, and, and sometimes you'd have... Services where there'd be part, they would open the floor for testimonies. Yeah. And what would happen? And that's something is, I've never seen ever. Yeah. Uh, sadly, before your time on that too. And there were people that would do. do you'd hand them the microphone. And they would talk about whatever they were going through and how miserable they were. And then it's like, y'all just pray for me. Well, you know what? That's not. That's a not a testimony. That's a prayer request. That's exactly. That's a prayer request. That's not testimony. But that was a lack of teaching yeah on the part of leadership about what a testimony really was a testimony is what you give after you have received either the victory or the promise of the victory and a testimony isn't always just a uh because i feel like the i feel like they've rebranded the word testimony into salvation story you know you know, I, I understand personal testimony in terms of when you came to know the Lord. Yeah. Because that is a testimony. But there's also testimonies that happen, you know, during your walk. It's the stuff you, because here's like, we're all human. We do struggle. Going back to Carl Lentz, this will be a testimony. Like if he pulls out of it. Yeah. And, you know, is able to pull himself up and get back you know, right, and repents and all that. This would be a testimony of something that he went through during his walk. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing, going back to, to what Lentz's situation is. Again, I don't, to me, my view about, and, and this is, uh, I've spoken to you about this, most people outside of Christian circles generally, unless they've seen him on one of his television appearances on secular television, don't really know who Carl Lentz is. No. Um, he is known within the Hillsong organization. He has a certain name recognition 
among various other ministries and all of that. And if you're really into Hillsong, you'll probably know who he is. Exactly. Um, the truth of the matter is, so far as Hillsong, most people know them as a music brand. Yeah. I mean, if you ask the general public, what is Hillsong? It's like, oh, well, they do music. Well, it sounds like it because it's in the name. Because it's like, you know, when more people, well, let's put it this way. More people are likely to in, in, encounter Hillsong's music than they are than they are to basically encounter a Hillsong congregation. Yeah. And so because of that, people tend to think of it more as a music label, um, generally speaking, um, than as a denomination. Yeah. Uh, oh, and so that's the thing. They're better known for their praise and worship music than they are for their message. Yeah. And there is, and, and I, I think that's, let me put it this way. I think that's problematic. It can be. And and I, I think that's that's part of an issue. Um, the interesting thing is I don't they they are not by any means alone in this. No. There is a extraordinary emphasis on music and worship in today's uh, Christian landscape. Yeah. But there is a much greater emphasis on worship and and such in the Christian landscape than there is on teaching, prayer, fasting, holiness, uh, and a lot of other things. Well, even the, the, Saul, he had David soothe their demons. He didn't have David deal with the demons. That's just kind of I think what's been going on. Now, am I saying you need to not listen to these to music or anything like that, worship music, and really get into it? No. But there has to be balance with everything that goes on. When I discover another church through music first, that's not a horrible thing. But it'd be nice to be like, oh, I know that preacher. Oh, they do music. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where the music has... And I remember back in the 80s, people talking about a prophetic word that was given at Azusa Street about how uh, as we neared the time of the Lord's return, there would be an overemphasis on music and praise and worship. Yeah, you don't over hear that the at word, all. Over the word of God. And this was being said, I remember hearing this back in the mid-1980s about a word that was given back at Azusa, you know, some 80 years, uh, almost 80 years before, 75, 80 years before. And so we really have and again, that's not a knock um, against Hillsong or anything like that. That is, here's the thing. It's, it's an observation of the mentality yeah. of this Christian landscape, which has elevated the, the playing and singing of music and worshiping in, in song to a, a status yeah um and given it a weight and importance beyond what is healthy yeah and it's like you know i keep i hear the metallian this was something i was hearing a while back some you know people always talk about you know i remember there used to be the song send judah first and the battle will be won mm -hmm. it was all about you know jehoshaphat and the singers went out there praising and worship and god then granted the 
uh, the victory on the battlefield and the way it was spun okay the way it was spun was that the victory came because of the praise and worship that's how that's often put out there but what nobody talks about is that the Jehoshaphat had the the musicians and the singers put out there at the front of the armies of the Lord not from the get-go there had already been praying yeah and fasting and an actual prophetic word from the Almighty which says this battle is mine I'm gonna take care of this they didn't start off with the singing no, they didn't. They didn't put the singing before the praying, the singing before the fasting, the singing before the prophetic prophetic utterance. Yeah, the singing was a sign on the battlefield that having already prayed and fasted and received the assurance from the almighty that the victory was going to be that the battle was his and the victory would be brought by him and by him alone. Then they could praise and worship God in the assurance that the victory was, was already won. promised. Yeah. And so, again, but you, well, that makes you, sense. you have this, this thing where, uh, where people are under the notion that, if, that you can sing your way through anything, worship your way, dance your way through anything. It's almost arrogant in the sense because it's like they, like you said, you can just worship and sing your way through anything. And sometimes you can. Like, there's always that those times where you need to just praise God in the middle of it. But there are times where you need to pray. You need to fast. You might actually want to read the Bible. You might want to actually go to God and see what he says to do in something. Yeah. It's just odd. Well, it's, it's unfortunate that whenever you're out of balance in anything— yeah, there is a a consequential downside to that. Yeah. Now when, the music is. I like the music. I listen to the music a lot. But I also know you can't just. It's like being on a steady diet of cake. You're gonna get weak and unhealthy. You have to have other things in your diet. You can't just have an IV drip of one thing. Because you'll just die mm -hmm. at some point. And you won't even, like, but that's just the thing. Like, you need to have other things. There's a balance. God is not just the God of worship and praise. In fact, the devil was that. That's what he did. He was like, he was a worship leader in heaven. You know what I mean? Like, he was the guy who did yeah. that. It's like, you know, you need to have more than just one thing. Like, I remember Jesse Duplantis talking about his trip to heaven, talking about Jesus. And he, was, he described Jesus as a preacher. And the stuff that he said that Jesus said in heaven will tear you to pieces because it's great. Mm -hmm. But there's a balance that needs to be there. You can't just have one thing constantly. Well, and that's it. That's like there are some people, whenever you become, I would almost say obsessive, yeah. about a specific type of ministry and understand there are people who are called to specific types of ministry so there's going to have a, yeah. a ministry weight on there there's people there are who people are who called are called to, to, to the healing ministry there are people who are called to intercessory prayer 
Yeah. Um, That's there are people who are, who are called to be praise and worship leaders and all that. Deliverance, evangelists. Div- like there's different things that you can be called to and there will be an eph- emphasis on. But never to the neglect of. Yeah. That's the point. It's when we start that neglect of in other areas. I've known people that they were so hung up on intercessory prayer, but they never fasted. They never studied. They had no biblical grounding. And they and, and sometimes they did praise and worship and, you know, sometimes not. And it's like, no, whenever it becomes too, whenever anything becomes lopsided. Yeah. You're you lose balance. And Christians, unfortunately, have always been prone to fall into unbalanced situations. Jesus didn't have an unbalanced ministry. No. He had a deliverance ministry. He had a healing ministry. He had a miracle ministry. He had a preaching and teaching ministry. You know. He did all of it. He, he was the whole enchilada. And each of us should have a part. And while there may be a ministry emphasis, it should never result in the jettisoning or neglecting of the other parts. Yeah. Because we need balance. Because as soon as you become unbalanced in one area, Satan will use that to his advantage. Yeah. And attack you on where you're, where you're weakest. It's like a bodybuilder. Well, you may have great arm developments, but basically, if if you know, if if you got bony legs yeah. and no chest development and a pencil neck, you know what? Your big impressive arms aren't that impressive. Aren't, aren't exactly. They look where, wrong. It's not where somebody's going to attack you. They're going to yeah. kick you in the knee. You know? Yeah, and you're going to, and your arms will be down there laying on the ground as as you're holding your your broken knee. It's like no, you you have to be balanced. It's it's just a necessity. And there are some people in churches that will use this one thing that they're doing an emphasis on, and that'll turn into an idol. They'll just put that on a pedestal where that's they're like you said, they get obsessed over things. Well, and unfortunately, a lot of it's uh, because the the culture that we live in, bigger is better. More people, bigger buildings, more money, whatever. And if something starts bringing in people and bringing in finances, and we're going to stick with that, we're going to ride that pony because that's where get, that's getting us to the goal. And it's like, no, sometimes it's really not about that. I mean, and you people need to remember, are, you're not here for th- that kind of a goal. No, it's in the end, you're doing what it is that Christ wants you to do. Well, that's it. Uh, personally, when I think, you know, when we've, we started off this talking about the situation with Carl Lentz and all that, um, I hope for his sake that there is a strong support group around him of people yeah. who will tell him what he needs to hear regardless of whether or not it's what he wants to hear. I hope there is a group of people around him that will help him to deal not only with the personal issue because, see, my thing is this. I I look at the situation and it's like 
the man committed a sin. He committed a, a sin against his wife. He yeah. cons, uh, and I don't know if the man has children or not. That I don't know much about the man. It, not my, not really my business. But ultimately, the first thing he needs is confession and repentance from those who he has personally wronged. First of all, from God, because all of our sins are ultimately against God, and we need forgiveness from the Almighty for all the sins we commit against him. In terms of Carl Lentz, his, his sin against his wife is something that he needs to be you know, confessing to her. Anybody who has wronged somebody else needs to confess their sin to that person to seek their forgiveness. It, Carl Lentz didn't sin against me. No. He, he doesn't need my forgiveness. And, and so, because again, he, he, it's, it's against whom he did sin. And so my thing is simply this, um, having confessed his sins to those against uh, whom he has wronged and received forgiveness from those who he has wronged, at that point, what, need, what needs to be happening for him is the same thing that needs to happen to anybody whether they're a minister or well-known or unknown or a man or a woman or whatever, in whatever sin it is that, you know, that, that they've, you know, fallen into. It's a thing where at that point, once the confession is made and the forgiveness is given, it's about helping that person to live a repentant life, which means you don't constantly remind them of, their fall and how they fell and constantly beat them with it but you are there to help them to protect them from these same kinds of temptations the same kinds of circumstances to minister healing to the same kind of wounds to find out where you know I like the way Jesus talked about the situation with him and Satan, he said, Satan has no place in me. He has, he has no ground, no turf in me. There's nothing in my life that has happened that, or, or in my person or in my experience that he has been able to get any traction in me. And our job as Christians, and this is really part of the, the deal in the body of Christ is, we should be there not just for one person, we should be there for every person and to help them to find healing for the wounds and to protect them from the temptations and to help them to live a repentant life that has turned away from whatever it is they've fallen into and help them to walk the right path that they need to walk. And, you know, people, because people will say, well, you know what? I don't like a lot of things that Hillsong New York has done. I don't, honestly, I, I don't. I didn't, I didn't like a lot of the things that happened that, that yeah. they've done. And many times, sometimes they've apologized for them and sometimes they haven't. But the question is simply this. There is nothing that they've done, whether they've, you know, there is nothing that they have done that God can't see. It's like it's like this: if you make a mistake, if you may, if you commit a sin, 
if you have a repentant heart that truly is seeking after God, you know what? God will deal with you. God will convict you. And my job is not to play God and try to be God and fix you. My God is my 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 job is to support God and be a vessel he can use and minister through to support his work of making you into the person you need to be, not the person you've fallen and been revealed to be. And so that's my, my thing about, you know, about this. Whether you like Carl Lentz or not, or like Hillsong, New York or not, or Hillsong, period, the, the bottom line is the body of Christ needs to be the body of Christ. Yeah. Honestly, right now he just needs people who are actually Christians to pray for him. And and honestly, sometimes Christians need to put their ego aside and realize that they're just that honestly, yeah, he fell, but it could have been you. It could have been anyone. Yeah. Anyone could have done something. His his was a little more public because of his position. But position doesn't really matter when your sin gets revealed, whether it's to your family or your friends or your local church. It doesn't matter how big or how small it is. It feels like the whole world knows what you did. And you need and in those moments, you want people to be compassionate and caring and praying for you and being what it is. Christ wants us all to be. So. In regards to Carl Lentz, I feel like that's how we need to approach it. To where it's like, if you were in that situation, you would want people to not bash you repeatedly. You would want people to help you and be there for you and pray for you and probably just listen to you and something in any and stuff like that. You know, I, I think about the fall in the garden. Yeah. And God comes looking. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only three people in the garden. Yeah. There's Adam, there's Eve. And they're Satan. And so... It's not like there's a crowd. But yeah. you know what? When Adam and Eve was having to basically fess up to their sins before God, you know what? It may not have been a big world, but, but, it was their, sins, but their sins were laid bare before the whole world. Yep. And so it doesn't matter how big or how small our world is when your sins are laid bare before your whole world. It's just as painful if you're somebody whose name nobody knows, whose sins have been laid bare in front of people whose names nobody knows, whether it's a few people in your life that comprise your inner circle or whether it's a multitude of people that nobody even has met, that people haven't even met, but they only know of you because you're a name or a face on social media or in the media, you know, it doesn't matter how big the crowd is that your sins are laid bare before. The truth of the matter is, I think every one of us could relate to the fact that nobody really wants 
the feeling of having their sins laid bare before anybody, let alone everybody. And that is not to say that it's not an endorsement of sin, but I do go back to the thing. It's like, you know what? My personal prayer for Carl Lentz is this, that he receives the forgiveness that God can give, that he receives the forgiveness from, from those who he has wronged, that in this thing, that he is drawn into a closer relationship with the Lord a greater dependency on God, a, a greater understanding of his need and dependency on God, and a greater desire to be a better man. And, 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 and that he will develop a greater love for God in the midst of this. And that the fruits meet for repentance, which we all understand. Fruits meet for repentance. Fruit doesn't happen. Fruit doesn't spring from the ground overnight. It takes a while to manifest. But over time that we will see that God has done a work in Carl Lenz and that he has become a better man than maybe he would have become any other way. Um, that's my personal prayer for, for him. And I hope that, you know... Um, that if anybody is struggling with a sin, um, that they will find that same. Uh, my prayer for them is, is the same, that you will receive forgiveness from God, that you will receive forgiveness from those whom you've wronged, that you will take the responsibility before God and, and recognize your deed and dependence on him, and that you will, you will allow his spirit to change you and, and make you better and keep you and, and, and that you will find people who will in your life help you to, to not ever fall into whatever sin it is that you're struggling with ever again. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to put it. I don't really know what else to say on that. Obviously, he's going to be in our thoughts and our prayers and we all... As a Christian, we should want him to be better and to get better. And yeah, pretty much we're like he he he'll be in in our prayers definitely. And I do just hope that like you said, he pulls out of this and becomes better in the long run than he did than he would have been before. One of those things where it's like always hers like what the devil meant uh, to for evil. what the devil meant for evil, God's going to use for his glory. And maybe there'll be people that'll get reached that couldn't have gotten reached any other way. And hopefully this will expand the kingdom of God in a massive, massive way. I hope so. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes that sometimes today's failure is tomorrow's ministry. Yeah. Um, sometimes today's tragedy, today's whatever, you know, that's the whole thing about a testimony. What you went through today becomes 
your avenue of, avenue of ministering to somebody else tomorrow. For Carl Lentz and for anybody who is currently battling with a sin, I hope that that is, is your future as well. It's one of those things where you don't get a testimony without a test. That's it. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you want to stay up to date on all things regarding the show, please follow our Instagram page at voice in the wilderness underscore podcast, or check out our Facebook page at voice in the wilderness. We also have a YouTube channel called voice in the wilderness. So please subscribe to it. Follow me on all the social media. If you're listening to this on a streaming service that allows you to follow me, please do that. If you're listening to this and they allow reviews or something like that, please leave me a review. Every little bit helps. Thank you so much.